quick question for you. Hey, let me ask you something. Can I ask you a question? Can you dig it? Yes, guy. Can you dig it? Yes, guy. The man with the words you've been dying to hear. Yes, guy. This is the Yes Guy Show with Jim Taddy on TSN 1050. Can you dig it? Oh, yes, guy. Welcome aboard. Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you. Perry, how are you? Great, Jim. How are you today? Well, let me check. Everything's good here. Everything is solid here. <laughs> Pretty excited. John King from CNN lined up. Alfred Payton is on the on his way. He's the uh, father of the current NBA star and, of course, a CFL Hall of Famer. And Jerry Hack, your, one of your writing buddies, is here. And, of course, yes guy, no guy at the end of the proceedings. So it's jam-packed. You did a nice job. Thank you, sir. It's uh, We just aim to have good guests to help us. We have great sponsors. So, uh yeah, it's been a great, great week getting this together, Jim. Have you had enough snow for this week? I've had enough. And, and did you say great sponsors? I said great sponsors. Go ahead. Looking for an experienced real estate agent? Charles Park, managing broker Remax West Realty Brokerage, has 26 award-winning years of real estate experience. Looking for the highest level of knowledge, experience, and service? Put Charles Park in your corner. Visit charlespark.ca or call or text him at 647-292-8886. Servicing from Hamilton to Kingston, from Toronto to Muskoka, Charles Park will not be outworked by anybody, and I can verify that. I have worked with him. He is relentless, much like the Raptors this week, who now sit at uh, 515-15 on the season, and Sunday night uh, take on Philadelphia. It's been a monumental climb for this team, and you have to like a team that gives you everything they have, and the Raptors would certainly be guilty of that. And they've been doing it without Kyle Lowry, and I'll get to this as one of my questions in yes guy, no guy, but it has been an interesting uh, scenario, if you will. Oh, I'm, I better get mine in first then because I have a Kyle Lowry question. Are well, we I'll see your question and raise you one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works that way, but nice try. <laughs> uh, Eldred Payton's, uh, or Alfred Payton's a pretty good story. He's uh, you know, a CFL Hall of Famer, and his kid plays for the Knicks, and interesting to chat with him. Looking forward to meeting him. I know you know him. I know him very well. One of the greatest characters I ever came across in my years of covering the CFL he embodies the spirit and passion of playing football. Just a really good guy when I was around covering the, the league. And uh, it's guys like him that really make the league what it is. I would agree with you. I think there's some really great people in the Canadian Football League and most of the time travel a little under the radar for reasons uh, not really clear. But, but there are some very nice people in that league, aren't there? Yeah, they're, they're, it's a great league because people say, you know, it's not as good as the NFL. Well, it's not like the NFL. I always compare it to what's the difference between uh, IndyCar racing and, and Formula One racing, right? It's cars, yeah. but it's not the same thing. So I think a lot of, you know, if you ask guys like Doug Flutie, Warren Moon, you can go, there's a handful, not a handful, there's a ton of guys that came up here, maybe didn't know a lot about the league, gained some experience, you know, got some film, got some tape on them, and, and they went to the NFL, and they did very well. So it's just a different type of game. It is. Um, it's maybe a little more athletic and, and maybe a little more ad-lib, but you could see clearly CFL influence on the NFL. What I liked about uh, a lot of the names that you mentioned, uh, they came here, they learned about our communities, they became big parts of our communities, and then, and then of course, they had to move on. Well, let's bring in our first guest. We are thrilled to have uh, at John King CNN is a Twitter account. John King, CNN Chief National Correspondent. John, welcome. How are you today, sir? 
I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. So I have to go for the low-hanging fruit here, the magic wall. Tell us about the magic wall and the secret of it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if there's a secret of it. I mean, we've all had to deal with, you know, I'm, a, I'm in my middle 50s, so we've all had to deal with technology exploding and changing how we do our jobs. And uh, it's been fantastic for me as an information tool covering elections. And the fantastic thing about it, if you go back, our first campaign with it was back in 2008. Uh, which was a big presidential election year. We've had some more tumultuous ones since, of course. Uh, but that was the first time my old boss found this at a military hardware uh, convention. The CIA uses these things to track special operations around the world. And uh, we used it in journalism on TV. And now if you look at, you know, pick your sports network, uh, they have one. Uh, other TV networks use them. So uh, the touchscreen technology, just like our smartphones, has you know jumped into our lives. And uh, it, it's a fantastic information tool when you have crazy elections, like we've had a few times in the States recently. John, you began your journalism career in 1985. So I have to ask you, in your 35-plus years of being a journalist, what were the last four years like? Because I would think it would be either crazy, dynamic, interesting. You tell us what it was like. Well, I, I think it's sort of both ends of the spectrum in the sense that your experience uh, hopefully hardens you and seasons you and you know gives you some resilience uh, to when you have either tougher campaigns or tougher questions or bigger stories. Uh, you've been through some, so you're a little, hopefully you've got some hard skin and some experience to guide you through it. Uh, what was unprecedented about it is that all of a sudden facts were in question and truth was uh, being twisted. That makes it challenging. Whatever you're doing, uh, whether you're covering sports, whether you're covering politics, whether you're covering you know, business, uh, when somebody in a position of power is saying things that are not true, uh, that makes it really challenging. And so your experience helps in some ways. In many ways, uh, particularly in the Trump era, he took us into you know, a brave new world. And sometimes it's, it's hard for an older guy to acknowledge that my experience helps me here and here, but it's useless to me over here because this is brand new. I mean, you're a journalist, so, so you're in the moment of reporting on it, but you were also a White House correspondent in the past, so you would know the order of things. When you look back at the, the last four years, how out of character was it or was it? The order of things. I don't know how I would order it. Look, I did cover the White House for 10 years. Uh, Trump uh, conducts himself in a way unlike anybody I've covered. And I've covered a variety of different personalities, either at the White House or otherwise in politics. Um, you know, I remember the, we had a disruptive campaign in the States back in 1992 with Ross Perot, who was kind of Trump-like, talking about immigration, talking about trade, talking about globalization issues. Uh, and so uh, Trump's not new. What he did was not unique. But oh, as I like to say, he puts everything on steroids. The volume is louder. The pace is faster. Uh, the coarseness, the, the anger of it sometimes is higher. Uh, and so it was like no other. And like I said, sometimes your old experience helps you, and sometimes you just have to say, this guy's operating to a completely different you know, playlist, and we've got to treat him differently. John, I have to ask you about, about the man who brought you in there, the man known as Wolf Blitzer. And as I understand it, he looked at your reporting many, many years ago and saw you guys, your work was beating CNNs, and he went to his boss and said, we've got to get him in here. So what's, what is the accuracy of that story true, and what's it like working with Wolf Blitzer? I, I treat Wolf as a brother, a slightly big brother. He's a little older than me. Um, but there's no, you know, our business, you guys know this, our business has been through a lot of changes. Again, some of it's technology. There's always new up-and-coming people coming into the business. Uh, the way Wolf handles himself just as a human being, there's no greater gentleman I've ever encountered in my life, a more decent, wonderful human being, and that makes it easier to work with somebody. You're right. Uh, he was the chief White House correspondent for CNN back in the Bill Clinton days. I worked for the Associated Press, wire guy. 
I had covered Clinton for a while, uh, was known for breaking some news. And, and Wolf had the stature and the courage, the personal courage to say, let's bring this young guy in. Uh, he knows the president. Uh, he can help us break news. Well, that's a big thing to do, to bring in somebody who's going to compete with you in some ways. Uh, it shows you just how big of a person he is. And I remember at the time, a lot of people were like, oh, is this going to work? It worked fabulously. We didn't know this, but not long after I joined CNN, we were dealing with the, you know, the Clinton impeachment saga, the Monica Lewinsky uh, episode and all that. And uh, I think a lot of people you know, were looking for, is this going to work? Is this going to blow up? Are they going to get along? Uh, he is my brother and my friend. He was back then in the mid-90s when I joined CNN, and he is today, and uh, it's a pleasure every day. And for those, those of you listening in Toronto, obviously, he's the son of Buffalo, so he's a, he's a neighbor for you guys. John, listening to you speak, I mean, it's pretty obvious, uh, and you've, you've, your career is built on this. You just you float along, and you're engaging, and you draw people in when you're speaking. I mean, you started in the print media, the Associated Press. Um, how did you make that transition? I don't think it was a difficult one because just listening to you now and, of course, watching you over the years, you, you just float along, and, and you draw us with you. But was there any kind of transition for you or, or, or not? I appreciate that. But, you know, uh, they, they keep the old tapes. Luckily, they're not all digitized because that was the old days, right, when everything was on yeah. tape, not, not on a computer file. But, uh, no, I was petrified at first. And that was one of my hesitations. Did I want to do this? I had a great job. I was the chief political correspondent for the Associated Press. They let me cover the first Gulf War. I got to travel the country and sometimes travel the world. I had great bosses who were my mentors and my friends. Uh, so I was taking a bit of a leap, and uh, television scared me, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I didn't like to wear a tie. I certainly didn't know I was going to have to wear makeup. Um, I was terrible at first, I, you know, mediocre at best. Uh, but uh, because of Wolf, because of great people like uh, Bernie Shaw was at CNN in those days, Judy Woodruff was at CNN in those days, uh, just great, wonderful people who were also fantastic journalists who were mentors and patients and uh, helped me get through it. John, on this show, we talk to people who aren't involved in sports about sports. In your case, you have a long association, a long appreciation for the Boston Red Sox. You grew up in Boston. So what's it like growing up in Boston? Did you ever think the Red Sox were going to beat the Babe Ruth curse? <laughs> I appreciate that question because I have kids who are spoiled, right? Because all the New England teams, the Patriots have done very well in the last 20 years. The Red Sox have done very well in the last 20 years. Uh, I grew up in the desert, right, when the Red Sox were pretty miserable. We had a little little bit. I was a baby in 67. I was four years old. Um, I remember 75, the mid-70s. We had Fred Lynn and Jim Rice. You know, those were good Red Sox teams, made the World Series once. But mostly we were in the desert. So it's been nice. We're spoiled, if you will. Uh, and so I don't know what they're going to be this year. I think your Blue Jays uh, probably on paper, at least, as we start spring training. I look a lot stronger than my Red Sox right now, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's the gift of spring training, right? You never know and you can dream. But growing up in Boston was great, and just like being in Toronto. I mean, you know, I remember in those days, you know, my dad was a jail guard, so he worked really funny hours. Uh, and so if he was sitting at the TV watching a Red Sox game or watching a Bruins game, uh, you just pop down on the floor next to his chair to watch with him. And, and those were great days. The Leafs were good in those days. That's, I'm going to go way back on you guys. That's like, you know, Dave Keon, Lanny McDonald, Daryl Sittler. We had wow. you know, Johnny Busick and Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. Those were, those were old-time hockey. Uh, those were great. Uh, the Sox were great in those days. The Blue Jays didn't exist way back then when I was a kid. Uh, but sports has always shaped my life. When you grow up in a town like Boston, um, you know, sports is in your blood, and it continues to be to this day. I mean, that was a classic Red Sox move, pumping the Blue Jay tires. I, I like that. Uh, and you have, like, a sports <laughs> delivery. Did you ever do any sports? <laughs> uh, no, I did not do. I have ne never done play-by-play. -play. I did. I, I, 
Adam Silver, the current NBA commissioner, is a longtime friend. We became friends a long time ago when I was doing charity work with the NBA, and he was in the number three job. And uh, he let me uh, do some stuff on NBA TV, some interview stuff and some studio stuff way back in the day when they were starting NBA TV. But uh, after the election, um, you know, Sean McDonough's a Boston guy who works for ESPN, does a lot of play-by-play. Um, Kevin Paul DuPont, who's a writer for the Boston Globe, you guys may know him, does a lot of hockey. Um, he wrote a piece about how maybe this, what this guy did during the election would play as a sports play-by-play guy. Uh, I'd love to try it sometimes. I'm sure I would fail miserably because I think one of the things that uh, people out there listening might sometimes underappreciate um, on election night, you know, I have to do a lot of research and homework uh, because you don't know what's going to happen, happen. And I hold in awe the great, you know, play-by-play announcers because you just never know someone's going to get hurt and some kid you never heard of comes off the bench and he's playing you know uh, and so i i hold those guys in a special place because i know what it's like to be on live television uh when you know when what you think is happening is going along pretty smoothly and then all of a sudden the tornado hits and then the hurricane hits and then it starts hailing um so i hold those guys in a very special place i'd love to try it someday but i'm not sure i'd be that good at it so if you're a longtime boston red sox you grew up there in boston what are you feeling right now watching the, uh, the Red Sox either dismantle a team, rebuild, whatever word you want to call it? I don't know the word. I, I think you framed the question just right. Uh, if you look at Heim Bloom and what he did, you know, in Tampa, you think this guy has a plan, right? Because the, you know, the, the Rays have put a team on the field for the last five, six, seven, you might even say 10 years, especially the last three or four years, uh, that if you look at the roster on paper, you would think, I'm not so sure, and then they show up in the playoffs. Uh, so the guy has a track record of doing things in an unorthodox way that produce good results. So I'm going to be an optimist in that regard and keep an open mind and think that maybe some of these new pieces somehow, you know, there's a spark of magic and off they go. Like any baseball operation, it comes down to the pitching. And I think that's a giant question mark for the Red Sox. Um, you know, I, I think we're in a rebuilding phase. And this is always a challenge when you're a big market team like Boston. Can you be competitive as you rebuild so your fans don't get mad at you? Uh, I, I think it's a giant challenge. They had a miserable year last year. I don't think last year, you know, it almost doesn't count because of the COVID season, but you know, Boston fans, uh, I may be more forgiving than Boston fans writ large, if you will. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm actually really fascinated by the question. I have some, you know, I have, I'm on a text chain with about 10 guys who are my old friends for 25, 30 years about Boston sports. And we say a lot of non-family friendly things, you know, during games when things are happening. Uh, and it's a pretty split group on whether there's any potential here or whether this is a three to five year project. So I can ask you a question. I grew up in the 70s. Remember those great Red Sox teams? Remember Yaz, Carlton Fisk, all of them. Who is the one player when you were growing up said, I love that guy. That guy defines what the Red Sox are all about. If you go back to those those days, there'd be two things. Uh, one, uh, Rick Burleson, who was a shortstop, who was a sort of a – he wasn't quite as good as Dustin Pedroia would become later, but a guy who was not the biggest, not the strongest, not the fastest, but ended up every game you know, dirty and bruised, uh, just went out and threw it on the field every day. I always appreciated those kind of guys. Um, and uh, I, uh, we caught the end of Rico Petroselli's career, if you remember, in those periods of time, and the Red Sox cycled in Luis Aparicio for a little bit. Um, so those were really interesting times. The, the one guy I will say, that time in Boston was a horrible time in terms of race relations. We had forced busing. It was just a terrible time in the city. And my dad uh, didn't say much. He used to just point. And, and Luis, Luis Tiant was a pitcher for the Red Sox in those days from Cuba, a big, gregarious, you know, black guy with this, this windup where he would do 360s on the mound pitching. And when there was a lot of racial tension in the streets and rock throwing and people using really foul racist language, 
my dad used to just point. And he says, you know, if these guys are so great, um, don't listen to what's happening out there. So my dad used sports as a way to teach us. So I always remember the George Scotts and the Louis, Louis Tions of those days as sort of shaping my perspective at a very important time in my life. And I had no idea at the time. It was only years later I realized what my dad was doing, and I'm grateful for it. Very well said, John. Thank you very much for stopping by. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Best of luck. Thanks a lot. Thank you. John King, CNN, chief national correspondent at John King CNN is the Twitter account. Really fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed that. Thank you. Well, Jim, it was to hear a guy talk about what life is like at CNN with the magic wall and then to, you know, switch over to to sports. um, Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting guy. and He certainly loves his Red Sox. He sure does. I mean, those are vintage memories going back into the mid-70s when they just couldn't get it done. Of course, those are the days that have passed by, and now they've had great success and now retooling. They really pumped the Jays' tires. Love that. Alfred Payton is next. If you are an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park, managing broker REMAX Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call 647 292-8886 292-8886 or email charles at remaxwest.net. This is Yes Guy, TSN 1050 and tsn1050.ca. Now back to the Yes Guy Show. Yes Guy. On TSN 1050. Advisors Incorporated, financial advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website at braleyadvisors.com. With 30 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money and get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Really loved that conversation with John King. Going to listen to that one later this afternoon. And uh, let's bring in now our next guest, Alfred Payton, uh, former CFL player and, of course, CFL Hall of Famer at AlleyCat848. 81392 is the Twitter account. Alfred, how are you today, sir? Pretty good yourself. How are you? Good, good. Perry, jump in. He's your buddy. Alfred Swack, as he's known, was one of the most colorful characters I ever came across in my years covering the CFL. Alfred, tell us about... What made the CFL, you know, such a great experience for you? Well, first of all, uh, uh, thank you for allowing me to uh, come on and be uh, on here with you all. Uh, not only as a, uh, as a privilege, but it's also a, a pleasure uh, to be here uh, with you all today. Um, I, my experience that would made uh, uh, the difference in the game, uh, how the game was being played, it was quite different from what I had been accustomed to. So uh, I enjoyed the wide open game and being able uh, the scoring and a lot of the passing. Uh, I really enjoyed how uh, wide open the game was up there in, uh, in Canada. So I'll let us go ahead, Jim. Go ahead. You had 154 sacks. I've often wondered what what does it feel like to sack a quarterback. Well, that that was uh, that was one of the things that uh, that I enjoyed doing. 
<laughs> um, I've always enjoyed getting after the quarterback and making uh, big plays. Uh, I was driven by that. And Alfred, you had you, you know you, you had quite a few stops in the CL. You were Shreveport, Baltimore, Montreal, Toronto. I think Winnipeg twice. Which one of those Edmonton. cities would Edmonton. you say Edmonton? Okay, Edmonton. which one of the which one of those cities would you say stands out the most for you in terms of uh, making an impression? Uh, well, you mean as a player? Yeah, as a player. Yeah. Well, I got I was the um, Canadian Football League MVP when I was in Edmonton, so I would have to say there for sure. Um, when I was 35, when I got uh, defensive player of the year, so that was one of the, that I, I would say Edmonton. So let me also ask you a question. Um, again, your days in the CFL. What did the CFL, would you say the CFL gave you an opportunity that the NFL didn't, or did it just evolve that you came to the CFL and found it to be a game that gave you an opportunity? Well, I say uh, coming to the CFL gave me an opportunity. Um, I did go down to the Saints in 96. I wound up getting released like the last time. But I would say the CFL giving me an opportunity. Okay, tell me also about when I spoke to you this week, I wanted to ask you about Black History Month. What does it mean to uh, you? Well, uh, just uh mean a lot just on the fact that what uh, um, my parents and grandparents and stuff went through uh, to give me and afford me some opportunities that they wasn't able to have. Uh, when they were growing up, you know, my mother and father and them, they uh, came up in the segregation. Uh, I, I I had just missed it. I was born in 67, so I didn't experience the segregation as so much, but I have experienced uh, prejudice, uh, but not as much as that that they had to deal with uh, growing up. So uh, just on the fact that uh, my grandmother and great-grandmother and them uh, had to fight for certain rights as far as voting and that kind of stuff. Um, that means a lot to me as far as uh, recognizing and uh, recognizing Black History Month and celebrating, recognizing and celebrating uh, Black History Month. Well, um, more of equal opportunity. Uh, when I look at, because uh, I'm in schools like NFL, you don't have uh, no black owners. Uh, very little black head coaches, even though the, uh, the league consists of over 90-something percent blacks. Uh, and the same as in... Uh, the NBA, uh, you don't have a lot of uh, GMs that's black and front office people, uh, and 
football and baseball. So it's, I mean, it's just, it's, I guess we'll be here all, they're trying to uh, justify how much more that can be done. But uh, anytime that uh, you, you can do something to make a difference, it always helps. Alfred, let me ask you about your son. Um, anybody that has a child, you know, is happy for whatever they do in life, whatever they pursue. Was this something that your son, you know, who plays for the Knicks, Alfred Payton Jr., had, had he always pursued a career in sports? And were you okay with it? Did you ever try to tell him, you know, this is what's good about sports, this is what's bad about sports? Well, um... When he was uh, when he was growing up, I introduced him to sports: uh, football, baseball, basketball, and he ran track and he also played soccer. Um, he always was interested in it. I didn't make him or push him to do anything, but I did introduce him to it. Um, and it didn't matter to me if he had played or not. If he didn't want to play, that was fine with me, as long as he. Uh, got his schoolwork, and that was the only thing that I was more or less concerned about was uh, him, uh, you know, getting his education. So he, uh, man, is is his first love and is football, and he played football up until eighth grade, um, Perry, and so. He came to me one day and said he didn't want to play football no more. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I, mean, I don't care. I'm fine with it. I guess he thought I was going to have an issue with it, I'm assuming. But I didn't care. And he just started excelling it. It's not nothing that I don't – I guess they, he might have had some ambitions to want to play in the NBA. and just says I wanted to play in the NFL. Um but he continued to just get better and better. And But the crazy part about it, we had started in school early, so he was young. So he only had two offers and one Division One scholarship, one to USL, I mean ULL, University of Louisiana Lafayette, and Xavier University, which is an NAIA school. So he took the ULL scholarship. And then uh, from that, um, he went on to play um, – USA basketball, and then uh, obviously when he got drafted, uh, the number two, the number ten pick to the Philadelphia um, 76ers, which traded him on draft day to the uh, Orlando Magic. Alfred, I wish we had more time. Thank you very much for stopping by. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, thank you for having me, and uh, it's always a pleasure, and it's always good talk, good talking to my good friend. Terry, that's my good friend. Swack, you're the greatest, man. <laughs> man, I appreciate you for having me on. Thank you so kindly. Thanks. Thanks very much, Alfred Payton, CFL Hall of Famer. Coming up next, Jerry Hack, a goalie who 
Well, he didn't make it. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial Advisor Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website at BraleyAdvisors.com. With 30 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money and get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. This is Yes Guy, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. You're listening to The Yes Guy Show. Yes Guy. On TSN 1050. Jim Taddy and Perry Lefko with you on Yes Guy. This segment of the Yes Guy Show is sponsored by the multiple award-winning Let's Get Moving Canada for all your moving packing and storage needs in the GTA. Let's Get Moving Canada does it all with friendly and efficient service featuring all-inclusive hourly rates. And Let's Get Moving Canada takes special care to ensure your belongings are protected. And get this, mention the Yes Guy Show. Receive $60 off the cost of moving. That's right, $60 off by mentioning the Yes Guy Show. For further information, contact Let's Get Moving Canada at 647 884 or visit their website let's get moving canada let's get moving canada.com our next guest is jerry hack that's j-e-r-r-y he is a beer league goaltender he wrote a book called uh, memoir of a hockey nobody they said i couldn't make the nhl so i went out and proved them right let's bring in jerry now jerry how are you hi guys yeah doing well thank you for having me on our pleasure so i mean how bad are you <laughs> well you'd have to ask the guys i played with and against but uh yeah i never made it very far up the ladder so we'll leave it at that well as bad as you may have been or maybe better than we're giving you credit for you wrote a book about your your life and your career which took a lot of gumption if you ask me why did you decide to do it well, it was just a lark to start with. I was posting stories on Facebook, and people kept telling me to write a book. So, you know, I hadn't written anything since high school. And so basically I just sat down at the typewriter, and that's what came out. Uh, I, I tend to write the way that I speak. You know, I didn't put too much thought into it. I just basically wrote it off the top of my head, and that was the end result. So you self-published the book. What was your reaction when you actually saw the physical copy of the book? And that kind of, um, that kind of was the end result of all that work that you had done. Oh, it was uh, amazing, you know, to, to get the actual physical book in my hands and to see what I had done. It, uh, you know, very proud moment, obviously, very gratifying. And uh, uh, I'm really glad that I did it. So, look, you've got that style where you're writing as you speak. So you could literally uh, write a book on anything that you want to describe. Have you thought about other subjects? Uh, yeah, I'm actually trying to write a novel now. So uh, people have uh, asked me to write some more because they, they seem to like not only what I write but how I write. So, you know, just like my hockey career, I'm a, I'm a late starter. So, you know, I'm going to give it a shot and uh, we'll see what, what happens. So I asked you what it was like seeing the, you know, the physical copy of the book. What was it like seeing the book on the Amazon bestseller list and having taken the Eddie O book away from the bestseller list? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can pretty much safely say that the Eddie O book is uh, outselling my book, but uh, it's uh, far exceeded my expectations. You know, I, when I was writing it, I thought maybe people who knew me 
people who are involved in the story might be interested, but I'm getting, you know, I'm getting uh, uh, reactions from all over North America. I've got Texas, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York, all across Canada, Australia, England. So it's, you know, it's like absolutely blowing me away. I, I never expected it, and uh, I'm just absolutely thrilled. Now, Jerry, I mean this in the nicest way. Goalies are quirky, uh, and and I would suggest to you that if you're a goalie, that you have probably a stronger attachment to a goalie that you watch play that, than most position players would with their favorite stars. Who was your goalie guy when you were growing up that you really wanted to be? Uh, I would have to say Kirk McLean. He, uh, you know, he was the Canucks goalie. I'm obviously in Vancouver, a huge Canucks fan. But you know what? I was a fan of all goalies. You know, Felix Potvin was one of my favorites, Tony Esposito, Ken Dryden. But, you know, always the uh, Canucks goalies, Richard Brodeur, Glenn Hanlon. Uh, I, I never really modeled myself after anybody. I, I You know, I, I never had a goalie coach. I never played organized hockey until I was uh, 18. So, you know, I didn't. I just learned by watching, so uh, you know that's uh, that was my <laughs> uh, my style was uh, hybrid style. I just kind of amalgamated everybody else into into what what I wanted to do on the ice. Jerry, I, I fell in love with the book. First time I saw it, I decided to buy it just to support you as as an author. I never did ask you how did you come up with the title. Uh, well. A uh, memoir of a hockey nobody, that's what I was. I was a hockey nobody. You know, I was playing beer league hockey, and I landed in the middle of, uh, you know, senior double-A hockey tryout in Saskatchewan, and everybody I was playing against had played some form of junior hockey, so I was kind of a fish out of water, and nobody had ever heard of me. I came out of nowhere, so really that's that's what I was. And uh, the subtitle, uh, you know, they said I couldn't make the NHL, so I went out and proved them right. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just kind of a true statement. And, uh, and I always thought it was kind of funny. How, do you still play? And how many games a week would you play? Oh, man. Uh, I don't play anymore. I had to retire in 2014. My knees and my ankles just wouldn't hold up anymore. And then, but uh, my record was 111 games in one season. And uh, I generally probably averaged 80 or 90 games. So I was playing like three, four times a week. 111 games, three to four times a week. You obviously have a very supportive wife. (laughs) Yeah, well, that was uh, whenever I dated somebody, that was first on the list. (laughs) So they had to to approve of my my hockey playing because – it was my passion. It was my obsession. I, I, I didn't want to do anything else or be anything else. I, I was born to be a goalie, and that's all I, all I wanted to do. And uh, I loved every minute of it, and uh, I would do it again in a heartbeat. So just getting back to the book, I understand some things are happening with the book. Uh, you know, you're getting recognition, but what are some of the other things that may possibly be coming your way? Uh, how do you mean? You you put on postings that it's getting recognition in a variety of ways. That's what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, just uh, you know the the media mostly is uh, getting a hold of it. Uh, Corey Warren from TSN has read it. 
Um, James Duffy uh, has expressed interest in reading it. So um, it's just getting into the hands of a lot of uh, influential people. And, uh, you know, uh, it's taking off and, uh, and doing really well. I'm, I am so surprised. You know, Jerry, when you were talking about dating, I suddenly saw a Seinfeld moment where, you know, I mean, how do you, when you're dating somebody, mention that you're a beer league goalie? Do you, do you lead with that or do you, do you cough or spill something and then say that? <laughs> no, no, you cut. You, you kind of let the relationship, you know, fester <laughs> a little bit first, and then, and then you spring it on them. So, yeah, but uh, that was all. That was always a huge consideration on their part because uh, hockey was my mistress. <laughs> did, did you bail out when you saw a flashing red light, or was that a problem? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw too many of those, so, uh, yeah, (laughs) that would be a red flag for sure. Hockey was my mistress. If ever there was a name for a book, that would be it. So if you do a sequel, aside from the book you're working on right now, I'm telling you right now, use that as a title. You will sell a million copies. Is that okay? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I will uh, will do that. I, you know... Like I say, people have been bugging me to write some more. So um, my hockey story in memoir of a hockey nobody, it ends in 1993 when I come back from the Yukon. So there's still many more years that I played hockey after that. So, you know, I may have to do a a sequel or a volume two. We wait for volume two, Jerry. Thanks very much. Thank you, guys. And uh, can I just say that uh, partial proceeds of my book go to help my friend Suzanne Saberniak, who's... uh, battling stage four cancer we've already raised a thousand dollars for her our goal is 3500 so everybody who buys the book is supporting her well, that's great and, and uh, where would they get the book uh amazon uh indigo chapters uh smashwords uh, you can go to my website www.jerryhack.com there's links there also uh mem- memoir of a hockey nobody facebook page Okay, Jerry, thanks very much. I'll pump that out again. The book is called Memoir of a Hockey Nobody. They said I couldn't make the NHL, so I went out and proved them right. That's Jerry Hack. At Jerry Hack 7 is the Twitter account. That's J-E-R-R-Y. Coming up next, Yes Guy, No Guy. This is Yes Guy, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca. Now back to the Yes Guy Show. Yes Guy. On TSN 1050. Welcome back. This segment of the Yes Guy Show is sponsored by the multiple award-winning Let's Get Moving Canada. For all your moving, packing, and storage needs in the GTA, Let's Get Moving Canada does it all with friendly and efficient service featuring all-inclusive hourly rates. And Let's Get Moving Canada takes special care to ensure your belongings are protected. And get this. Mention the Yes Guy Show. Receive $60 off the cost of moving. That is correct. $60 off by mentioning the Yes Guy Show. For further information, contact Let's Get Moving Canada at 647 250 or visit their website, letsgetmovingcanada.com. Yes, guy. No guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the official, totally sanctioned, all rights reserved, Yes Guy show edition of Yes Guy, No Guy. Go ahead, sir. Okay, just before I start, uh, Jerry just sent me a message saying his book has been listed by the New Jersey Book Society, uh, he's a finalist for uh, for an award, so we got to give him credit for that. Okay, right off yes, the guy. top, 
wait, man. Let me, you always uh, okay. you always override I, my thoughts, man. Let it breathe, okay? Oh, well, what's that like? <laughs> okay, all right. All the criticism about Mr. Nylander, Willie Nylander, was warranted. I'm going to say no, guy. You know, he's struggling, but the season's not over. Talk to me at the end of the season. This this is a, a big test for him. He's got to start delivering. So I'm going to say a temporary no guy to that. How about you? No, yes, guy, all the way. This guy has so much talent. It just, it just seems like sometimes he's not engaged in the game, to use that word. So I don't know. If the guy played consistently well, he put on a solid effort every time. If he, if he had Zach Hyman's heart. This guy would be unbelievable. So, yes, the criticism was warranted. He is tracking in the right direction. I'm just going to say that. Yes guy, no guy. Austin Matthews is actually better than you thought. Yes guy. He, uh, his release is incredible. And having said all that, if he didn't play all those games against the Ottawa Senators, would he be so amazing? My answer is oh. no guy. I've answered my own question. Yeah, that's like editing the movie, though. There's nothing you can do about it, and uh, I just think that, like all great players, he started to evolve, and that's a fun thing to watch. Go ahead, sir. All right. We mentioned before Kyle Lowry. Is this becoming evident that the Raptors can go on without Kyle Lowry? Uh, no, guy. It's a short-term thing. I think it would be foolish to look at that and say they could do this for a full season. Uh, you know, I actually, if you if you watch the game on Friday night, they used every morsel of energy to get that done. Uh, and obviously, he would have been a factor in that game. And, and going to the one the night before in Milwaukee, uh, they emptied the energy tank on that one too. So, uh, no, you know, it, it's it's a great little. Uh, uh, fun editing thing on on the movie that you're about to watch and, and they can do it in short spurts but no not long term no guy okay you ready for go, this go ahead guy you are a cnn junkie no guy i am not a cnn junkie <laughs> wow. i was forced to watch it because of some something else i was involved in but i will say this just watching john king when it comes to the elections, working the magic wall is priceless. I don't know how he does it, but he makes it kind of entertaining to watch. Did I answer the well, question properly? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, to what most people don't understand is he has an earpiece on and people are talking to him. And, and if you look at his performance, he just absolutely processes all that stuff and throws it out in a, in a manner that you could digest very easily. Very engaging. That's, a, that's an extreme talent we're talking about right there. Okay. Now that we had John King on, should we go after John Roberts, who used to be known as J.D. Roberts of much music fame? Oh, you should do that. I worked with him at City TV. No, it's a yes guy or no guy. Come on, man. Yeah, yes guy. You well, invented yeah, I, it. I think it, was, I think it was pretty obvious. Yes guy. But you didn't he say yes guy show. or no guy. Come on, man. It's, it's my segment. I can alter it if I like. I would say yes guy. Ask, ask JD if he'll come on, and uh, we could talk music with him. That's great, because you and I talk a lot about music, and that's a question. Yes guy or no guy? Yes guy. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Gee, do I have okay. to do everything? Yeah, man. Wow. And was I right about Baba O'Reilly? That's the greatest rock song of all time. No, guy. There is no greatest rock song of all time. It's, it's a subjective thing. 
that's well i said it so it's subjective to me that i think it's the greatest rock song that, of all okay, time not not see now you're paraphrasing i think it is okay well you're allowed to think it is personally i've probably got about 10 of them that i would love to take on an island with me give me give me first. a couple okay on an island oh, what number, would you choose i would definitely take uh any Beatles song because they're all masterpieces. I love the Who. I would take the uh, if I was had to just take the Who. I would take the Live at Leeds album. Fantastic. There you go. Guys. And on that note, we have to go. Thanks for joining us on Yes Guy, <laughs> TSN 1050 and TSN 1050. Oh my guy. <laughs>